Welcome to the Denver Community Church Teaching Podcast. Whether you attend our 10 a.m. gathering on Sundays here in Denver, are just checking us out, or listen every week from far away, our hope is that by engaging with Scripture, together we can explore and participate in the life of Jesus so that we can be a healing presence in our world. As you listen to this teaching, allow it to begin a conversation between you and God, you and the Bible, and you and your community. If you have any questions about DCC or this teaching, you can email us at info at denverchurch.org. To get connected or find out more about what's going on in and around our community, you can visit our website at denverchurch.org or download our app by searching Denver Community Church in the App Store. And if you want to financially support the healing work we are doing as we invest in our community while setting aside 20% of every dollar given to support our partners locally and around the globe, you can text the words Denver Church to 77977. That's Denver Church to 77977. Know that spaces like ours can only exist through the radical generosity of those who call DCC home. Thank you for being here. Let's get to the teaching. Well, good morning again. Um, I just uh, have the privilege this morning of introducing our guest teacher. So as you know, we've been in a season of teaching for the last few weeks called On the Move. And uh, just looking at ways that God is on the move in our own lives, in our city, in our world, whatever kind of the perspective may be. And uh, so we brought in some different friends to teach and uh, hear kind of their perspective on that and what's been going on. And so this morning, we have Ryan Taylor with us. Uh, Ryan has been a longtime friend of DCC, uh, of mine. Uh, we've kind of partnered with him in a lot of ways uh, over the years. Uh, but a couple things about Ryan. Uh, he is the pastor of a faith community in town called Urban Mercy. Uh, he's also the director of Network Coffee House. Uh, so for those who know, we've been uh, connected with that uh, ministry uh, to folks experiencing homelessness for a lot of years. Uh, it's just two blocks south of us here on Pearl Street. Um, and it was interesting, as we were kind of talking, building up toward this, you told me a couple of statistics that I just want to relay. Um, so for those that don't know, homelessness in our city has increased 200% since 2008 and 15% since the pandemic. So this continues to be a growing need and injustice in our city that needs to be addressed. So I think Ryan's going to talk to that a little bit this morning, but uh, those statistics blew me away. So thanks for sharing those uh, with me. Uh, Ryan is also an author, Awkward Spirituality. So we've got a few of these books available in the back. If you're interested, I'll be back in that participate area right after this, and we'd love to be able to sell you one of these. But uh, glad you're here this morning. So if we can, just help welcome Ryan to the platform. Thanks, buddy. Howdy. Good morning to you. I'm going to attempt to sit this morning. I've never done that here before, but I'd rather not tower everybody over everybody quite so much because I'm six foot six. Actually, John gave me the option to speak from the balcony this morning, so, um, so I'm, I might still end up up there at some point. But uh, man, what a privilege to, to be in this space and to be with all of you. It's always such a such a privilege for me to come and visit and, and do a teaching here. Um, before I get rolling too quickly, uh, oftentimes when I speak here, there's somebody that feels, has been feeling the, the invitation or the drawing to, to volunteer at Network. And so if that's you this morning, if you're feeling some sort of nudge or calling to come down the street, and it is just two blocks down the street, 
If you're feeling that nudge this morning to come volunteer at Network, please find me after I'm done here, and I would love to chat more with you about it. Cool? Well, so John mentions these statistics, and it's, it's alarming, right, that homelessness has grown to the, the degree that it has here in our city. I've been at this work for going on 15 years, so it's kind of funny. So about the time from 2008 to 2021 that those stats were given, that's pretty much been the time that I've been in this work. And so, as you can imagine, it's come with some severe exhaustion. Um, I've been quite, quite exhausted, quite tired. And so this past year, I was encouraged to take a, a sabbatical, a lengthy sabbatical. Uh, my therapist, the network board, generous friends are like, it's time, it's time for a break. So I heeded that instruction. And uh, so I just got off the sabbatical about a month ago. So I took April 18th through July 18th completely away from the work. And that's, so this morning, what I'd like to do is give some reflections uh, or so, some insights that came my way from completely exiting the work for three months. So I began right away. So Monday, April 18th, I, I took off for Boston. I had never been to Boston before, always wanted to explore that city. I've got three really good friends in Boston that I wanted to spend some time with. So I, I head to Boston that very first day of sabbatical, and I decided to not uh, rent a car. I just wanted to take public transportation, be on the bus, be on the subway, be on my feet through the city. So I arrived in, I think it was the late morning on that Monday, and um, walking around downtown Boston, and walking around Boston Commons there, and I start to notice something weird, something unusual. There's a lot of people that have these emergency blankets, these like tinfoil blankets wrapped around them. You know what I'm talking about? Those emergency blankets. Uh, and so I thought, man, what did I stumble into here? What sort of event did I stumble into? And then I started to notice that underneath those emergency blankets was running attire, as if they might have just got finished with a marathon or something. So it took me about... 20, 30 minutes to, to realize that the Boston Marathon was that morning <laughs> that I landed. So I'm walking around, and it, you guys, it was so fascinating because the, the people's faces, uh, the bodies that I'm watching walk around that city, and the severe, ex you talk about exhaustion, right? And just people about ready to collapse. I remember seeing one guy crossing the street and he was literally, I mean, the legs were just wobbly, and he was about ready to collapse. And his partner comes in and scoops him up and gets him across the street. And then I remember going down to the subway and going down to the steps. There's two women in front of me, and they're just holding on to the, to the handrail for dear life. Like, you just tell the calves and the, the hammies are just shot, right? But the most profound image from that morning uh, was a little bit later, I was at the curb getting ready to cross the street, and there's a, there's a braided-haired young woman on my right, and she had just finished the race. She's got her race attire on, and her family is with her. Her parents are with her, and maybe older brothers and sisters, some extended family, and there's a fight going on. They're, they're in contention with each other, 
And what I, what I gathered in that short amount of time was the family, they weren't from Boston, and they were just ready to do the tourist thing. We just want to see the sights. And so dad is yelling at the daughter. She's exhausted. He wants to get down the street and to see all the architecture, all the things there is to see. Finally, the mother turns to the daughter and says, honey, what is it that you most need right now? And she looks at her mom and she says, I've already told you guys exactly what I need, but you just keep pushing forward. I've told you exactly what I need, but you just keep pushing forward. So I'm laying in my, my bed, I was staying with my, at my friend's house that night, and I'm just staring at the ceiling with that echo in my head of her, of that, that message that she gave to her family. And I thought, shit, that's, that's a metaphor for sabbatical, huh? If I needed one, I've told you exactly what I need. You just keep pushing forward. Hmm. One side of me had been pushing forward for so long. Be productive. Keep, keep moving. Don't let your grief get too messy. Don't slow down too much. Keep fighting the powers. The other more sensitive side of me that's been experiencing pretty much burnout these last few years was saying to the other side, I've told you exactly what I need. You just keep pushing forward. It's powerful. So I, I felt this, this invitation to recognize and to listen to these two binary voices in my head and then ask myself, why do I feel such responsibility to keep going when there's a very clear voice telling me to stop? What's, what is that about? Why is my ego, my fears, my, my restlessness pushing and pressuring me so relentlessly? Why, why can't I stop? Throw up a hand if you relate to those two binary voices at all in your head. In your head. Yeah. So the word sabbatical, it comes from the Hebrew word Sabbath. And I typically associated the word rest with it. It's fine to associate the word rest with it, um, but it just means stop. Just stop. So don't think harder about life. Um, don't, don't finish the landscaping project. Uh, all these things that we, when, we, when we get a vacation, right, we're like, oh, I got all these things I, I want to get done. But Sabbath just means stop. It's a major part of the creation story, and then we see it throughout the rest of the Bible. There's this ongoing invitation to, to hit the brakes, to stop, to unplug. Dare I say, sit down the phone, right? Now, I realize that uh, we don't all have the opportunity to take a three-month sabbatical, right? But we can take advantage. We can take seriously little Sabbath moments, and that's what I want to talk about this morning, are these Sabbath moments. And this, during my time with you this morning, I want to invite you to practice some Sabbath moments with me. So throughout my talk, I'm going to pause for a moment, and we do this in our, in our little church often. So I'm going to invite you to pause, and then we're going to take a good, deep 
Sabbath breath. So let's try that now in through the nose and out through the mouth. Now, if you can imagine with me that we've all got that that braided-haired young woman on this side of us who's asking us to slow down, who's asking us to stop. And we've got the rest of the family on the other shoulder that's pushing us, relentlessly pushing us forward. So with that in mind, I want to invite us to revisit an ancient story from the book of Genesis. This is the story of Cain and Abel, which most of you, most of us, even if we have been a part of the church or we haven't been a part of the church, we're probably familiar with the story of Cain and Abel to some degree. It's the story about the one brother who we kind of think of as the bad or the evil brother killing off the other brother. But I want to revisit it this morning with you and take a closer look at the story of Cain and Abel. So I'm going to look at Genesis chapter 4. And this is verse 1 and 2 of Genesis chapter 4. It says, Adam made love to his wife, Eve. And she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. And she said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. And then later she gave birth to his brother, Abel. So Hebrew scholars over the centuries have looked at this. And they just look at the, the kind of the surface of the text, and it says, there was one conception and two boys born from that one conception. So we've always looked at them as just brothers, but the likelihood uh, that they're actually twins is pretty high. So imagine Cain and Abel. It's not just brothers, but actually twins. Now, if we can remove ourselves from figuring the story out as a literal, historical, Sunday school type of story, and if we can see it as an allegory about human psychology, it might help us understand why we behave the way that we do. And it might even help us understand the nature of burnout and broken relationships and all sorts of yuck that is a part of our life. It might help me understand why I pressure myself so much to keep moving uh, when it becomes unhealthy. So consider that the brothers are twins, and now I want to look at the meaning of their names together. So the Hebrew definition of the word Cain means to possess. To possess. So this is the energy that is assertive, often aggressive, it grabs onto, clings onto things. This is the energy that it's allowed our species to survive the way that it has. So that's the, the, the simple definition of Cain, to possess. Now, I want to invite you to imagine that as, as one part of yourself, the possessive part of yourself, to possess. Now, the definition of able is lightness of being. Lightness of being. And this is our ability to be vulnerable, to be humble, to be self-aware, to be transparent. It's our ability to be inclusive and compassionate. This is the energy that's allowed us to be in healthy relationship 
with one another and with creation. So you've got two possess on this side. Now imagine lightness of being on this side of you. Now, in and of themselves, we, we really need both of these energies. We, we need Cain's fierceness to integrate with Abel's compassion. We need Abel's humility to integrate with Cain's aggressive assertiveness. And when these brothers are in harmony, when these brothers are embracing one another, that's when we're at our best. That's what makes for a whole healthy human being. But then let's chat about what happens when burnout emerges. What happens when you've been too tired for too long? Uh, Or what happens when you've been in that continual fight, flight, or freeze mode for way too long? What happens is the energy of possession, the energy of Cain, it kicks into hyperdrive. And it overshadows and it eliminates Abel's lightness of being. Are you following that? Let's take a pause and take another deep, good Sabbath breath. Let's be honest about the world that we live in. We live within an economic system that values white, male, able-bodied people over everybody else. We live in a system that values you based on your production and your profit, the profit that you bring to the table. And when that is the only oxygen that we have to breathe, it doesn't take long until we're sitting in severe exhaustion. And would you agree with me that we live kind of in a nation right now, all suffering from severe exhaustion? Amen? So let me go back to my experience of sabbatical. I have this experience in Boston, and it was really profound. It was a really strong message for me to chill out, to slow down, to recognize the voices in my head, to stop. I was really grateful for that message. But then what? So I I got back home the next week. I spent a week with my family. And then the following week after that, I went to uh, Sacred Heart Silent Retreat Center in Sedalia, Colorado. And I did that a couple of times this summer, and I've done that quite quite often over the years. What I do oftentimes when I go to that silent retreat center is I I write. I get a lot of writing done. Should I go to the balcony now? (laughs) And and so that's what I did that week um, is I I really bared down. I got a a lot of good writing done. I'd been chomping at the bit uh, to do that. So I was cooking on it. I got probably a a structure of about eight chapters done that week. Uh, Not just that week. I'd been building up to that, but I got a lot of good writing done that week. Then I come home the next week, and I try to keep carrying on that momentum. I I get to a coffee shop about every day for a couple of hours, and I'm still cooking on that writing. 
Well, then our, our whole family, uh, my wife, my two boys, and I, we, we got away for an entire week for a vacation. We came back from that week and um, opened up my laptop, and my battery had died. And you guys, I, I don't know who in the world does not save eight chapters worth of writing. Um, but, I, you know, I never clicked auto-save. I never, I never hit save on this massive amount of writing. So, yeah, I know that's probably, there's probably a little trauma coming to you this morning. It sounds like I heard a lot of gasps from that. Yeah, and that's how I felt. And I carried that, you know, for about a week um, after I lost that, that writing. You know, panic starts to emerge, and then you, it feels like a death, right, after you do something that silly. It really helped me notice the invitation to stop to do a full stop. I was still pushing forward. Writing's really good for me. It's really healthy for me. But there's also this part that I'm always thinking about, how can I influence somebody? So in many ways, I'm still at work when I'm, when I'm writing. And guys, I slowly began to see the terror that I feel when I'm not pr- producing something to organize people, to make people think differently to comfort people, to disturb some people that need to be disturbed. I, I keep pushing forward. I keep moving. So part of this invitation to practice Sabbath moments, it's about recognizing my hunger to possess, keep moving forward. My fragile little ego is so attached to whether or not I feel like I'm making a difference. If I stop, if I truly stop, What I found is that I live with a deep, deep fear of not measuring up to some idealized version of myself. Like the revolution is not going to keep going on if Ryan Taylor doesn't personally keep pushing the revolution forward, right? Anybody relate to this? Merciful heavens. Well, let's take another pause and another deep Sabbath breath. A few weeks ago, I was sharing a very similar teaching at a friend's church up in Broomfield. And I'm talking about Sabbath rest. I'm talking about pushing the pause button, stopping, and the health of that. Um, That room was much smaller than this one. It was probably about one section, about like this. And it was probably about 80% white, middle-class folks. And so I'm, I'm, I'm sharing this message, and I get a lot of affirmations, a lot of head nods, like people really tracking with me. And then I open it up for dialogue. And if you want to keep, uh, if you want to keep it ni- nice and tidy, don't ever open it up for dialogue, right? <laughs> I'm not going to do that with you this morning. <laughs> um, but no, I open it up for dialogue, and there's a woman in the corner of the room, very courageous woman, uh, so not male, not white, not middle class, and she's absorbing everything I'm saying. She's such an attentive listener, and she stands up and she says, Mr., I can't stop. I, I live in my car. 
and I'm a single mom, and I've got to protect my baby out in that car. I cannot stop until I find a job, and then I can't stop until I find an apartment. So I will not be able to stop until my baby has a, a bed to lay in and a roof over her head. Oof, and I was so grateful for her voice that morning or that, that evening. And I have to highlight her voice and her situation this morning. And I realize there's probably others in the room of this size that are in a similar situation to hers. And I want to make it really clear. One of the reasons why this message of stopping is so vital is so that we pause to listen to the voice of someone in her situation. Learning the rhythms of slowing down is vital so that those of us who currently are not in a space of severe poverty can be disturbed and out of the overflow of our life, we can act on behalf of those who are stuck in that impossible place. Amen? So when it comes to our relentless pursuit of productivity, there is a severe consequence on society, especially those who have been overlooked their entire life. And if we keep unconsciously pushing forward, we miss hearing the voice of the marginalized Jesus. You feel what I'm saying? And not just the marginalized Jesus out there, but those hidden wounds within myself that I often just sort of skip over because things are going so fast. Let's pause for another Sabbath breath. In the Hebrew scriptures, there was this pattern set up where every seven years, they took a year of Sabbath, a year of, of sabbatical. They called it a year of Jubilee. And a major part of preparing for that year of Sabbath was forgiveness of all debts. So part of the sacred purpose of stopping is to listen and notice the need to let go of what we have hanging over others. So on that silent retreat, take it back to that silent retreat at Sacred Heart in Sedalia. So I was determined to, to start writing about a particular relationship in my life. And it was a, it's been a relationship that has been very tumultuous, um, but a relationship that has been very dear to my heart. As a friend that in so many ways uh, has opened, helped open my eyes to see the way that I see now. But it was an extremely tumultuous relationship. He was a severe alcoholic, and, um, and out of that alcoholism came a severe hoarding issue as well. And it was about a 12-year-old relationship. But it was a friendship that dominated way too much of my life. And so eventually, a couple of years ago, I, I had to put an end um, to that relationship. I had to walk away from it. And that tore me up. That it hurt big time. But what? We were in the middle of a pandemic, and I, I had to keep going. So I didn't pause to, to grieve that relationship. 
So on this retreat, I begin to write about him. And it's, it's good for me. It's healing for me to write about him. And what I often do when I'm at Sacred Heart, I, I have a bit of a, a pattern that I, that I do where I'll, I'll write for an hour and a half, a couple of hours, depending on how bad my ADD has kicked in that morning. Uh, but also I'll write for an hour and a half or so, and then I'll go for a hike. So, and then I'll come back in, write some more, go out for a long walk. So that's what I was doing. And after a time of writing about this man, I went for a hike. And there was a point on that hike where I felt this clear message that said, you won't be free to really write about him until you forgive the debts that you have hanging over him. So in the silence, I listened to this question, has your heart released him from what you've been withholding? Shit. So that hit me between the eyes. That really knocked me off, off balance in a very good way. When I stopped long enough to turn down the noise and turn down the static of my life, I felt a very clear invitation to return his dignity, return his humanity back to him. I'd been withholding that. He made life hard, made my work hard. And so in the process of that, I don't think I, I no longer saw him as an image of God. So I kept hiking with this humbling recognition and, and through this prompting, I then began to imagine him in the light of his healing and his wholeness. I imagined him as a child deeply loved and fully accepted. And for me, it was a, it was a bodily experience of this lightness of being that we're talking about. It was a very liberating experience. And as I was encountering the invitation to, to focus and, and forgive this particular individual, other faces started to emerge in my consciousness. Others that I had been holding resentment over. And as their faces came to mind, I'm imagining their beauty, their wholeness, the light of abundance shining down on them. And I'm experiencing more liberation, more lightness. If I continue walking in that silence, I'm consciously forgiving debts, and my attention turned from noticing the need to forgive others to the trickiest one of all, the need to forgive myself. Anybody relate to that mess? Anybody else their own worst enemy? 100% of us? Okay, good. Let's pause for another Sabbath breath. I want to name that you are in a safe space this morning. You're in, a, you're in a safe place to consider just how hard you are on yourself. I want to ask you, when's the last time you've slowed down long enough to see the resentment that you hang over yourself, your past decisions, um, what your body looks like, how your body's feeling? When's the last time you've noticed the presence of Cain within you? 
When's the last time instead of beating the crap out of yourself and demonizing and dehumanizing that part of yourself, you gave yourself permission to fall into God's infinite grace and acceptance? And forgiving debts isn't something that you can just automatically perform, right? It's, uh, we, you can't just snap your finger and make debts be forgiven. But for me, this was a very important lesson in this moment. This was a tangible look of what lightness of being means. And it, it snuck up on me, and especially this need to see myself as fully embraced, fully accepted, fully loved. Does that resonate with y'all? So at this time, I'll, I'll go ahead and invite the, the worship band um, to come back up as I begin to close down here. The end, the conclusion of the Cain and Abel story, uh, it talks about the consequence of Cain's consuming possessiveness. Cain's consequence was a life of restlessness, meaning that no matter what he accomplished in life, no matter what he built or succeeded at, it will never be enough for him. He's never going to be fulfilled. He's never going to be happy with himself or with anybody else. And in that unhinged, possessive energy, he will never be satisfied with the simplicity of what is. He will never stop long enough to forgive debts. The restlessness won't allow him to pause to take a Sabbath moment. For Cain, it will always be all scarcity all the time. He will always see people as commodities. He will always see himself as fundamentally flawed and worthless. So the consequence for Cain, it's the same consequence it is for you and me. Um, We end up turning into a machine. And it's machines that are meant to produce and perform. And everybody pretends to be happy as long as you produce and perform. Everyone pretends to be happy until the machine gets broken. And machines do break. And when machines break, machines need to be fixed. And I know I need to hear this this morning. There might be some of you that do. We are not machines. Amen? When humans get broken, when you and I get broken, we require extra tenderness. And for me, that tenderness tends to come when I take these Sabbath breaths and these Sabbath moments. So if you hear nothing else this morning, um, I'd love for you to take home this. One one of the primary outcomes from taking Sabbath seriously and breathing a little deeper, one of the primary outcomes is simply noticing. Just noticing. Not solving the problem. Not fixing what's broken. Just noticing. Noticing the ache, noticing the joy. But just notice. Machines do not have a conscious. Humans have the capacity to notice. Humans have the capacity to notice the desire for tenderness. And each one of us in the room could use a little bit more tenderness in our life. So if you feel stuck on that frenetic treadmill of productivity and you're feeling burnout, listen, don't don't hate yourself for it. Like, we we never shame ourselves out of burnout. 
We never shame ourselves into deeper wholeness and health. Let's take one more collective breath together. So if you're in the middle of a season of burnout, notice the voice of shame and be curious about it and ask yourself, what does it look like for me to practice greater tenderness toward myself? We will not effectively address the needs of the overlooked and the oppressed if we don't take the time to practice real tenderness. And you're hearing my encouragement this morning to start with you. So my blessing and prayer over you this morning is may we all explore a deeper breath of tenderness and may you experience your lightness of being.